Well, today, Brandon Graham is, we're gonna, is going to be sharing the message. I'm going to do a little bit of introduction here and a little bit at the end. Uh, but he's our men's minister as well as uh, our assimilations minister. And if you don't know him, men, I want to make sure you get to know him before this service is over. Uh, a couple things I want to remind you about. Uh, we are going to be reading through the Bible next year, and we've got lots of different options. If you weren't here at the beginning of the service to hear about it, uh, we've got some one-year Bibles that you can just donate or take. We'll have some more. We completely ran out of all the children's Bibles and the middle school age Bibles. Uh, we, we should have some more in by next week and certainly by the first, or you can just go buy those certainly on your own. And uh, multiple ways that you can participate, we want you to do that. Also, uh, there are blankets that we are, for $15 that we are donating downtown uh, to a couple of missions that we work with. And so we would love for you to be a part of that, as well as we pray for our missionaries that are around the country and our church planters that are around the area too. So we invite you to be a part of that. I want to invite you really to encourage you to invite someone next week. Uh, this is one of the two days that people are more open than any other time. Matter of fact, I saw a statistic the other day that said uh, that 48% of people who are unchurched, who don't go to church during the year, if they would be invited to Christmas Eve, they would come. That's almost one out of two people that don't go to church. So basically 50% of the people that you know that don't go to church, if you have invited two, statistics say that one of them would come. So this is a great time to do that. So I want to encourage you to do that. And if you can, come at 2 or 5. That would really, really help us. At 3.30, it's going to be packed. You may be sitting in a metal chair. You may be parking it at the uh, Tom Thumb, Okay. But come on if you want to, all right? Um, but seriously, if you can come at 2 or 5 or 11 o'clock on Sunday, that, that would be phenomenal. That would really, really help. So with that understanding, we're looking at Matthew chapter 1 today. Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. And as we look at Matthew chapter 1, I think it's important that we understand a couple of things. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my dad, my family, we had lots of animals. We had small farms. We had lots of animals. Uh, but the big deal, I remember the most coveted prize uh, that you could have in my little uh, redneck neighborhood was a dog or a horse with papers. You know what that means? It means they're registered full blood. I'm, now, I still don't know what this means to this day, but we had a registered full-blooded coon dog at one time. All right? I don't even know what that means. But my dad was very proud of it. Every once in a while, we'd get a horse, a quarter horse, registered. He's got papers. That's a big deal because they're worth three times as much because they're a pure breed. And so that was a big deal in my little neck of the woods. That was, you know, that was like getting the Maserati. It was like getting a coon dog with papers. You know what I mean? So when I look at Matthew chapter 1 and I read this passage, it's often if we can just glaze over this and just keep going. But what's happening here, Matthew as a Jewish writer, a Jewish historian, and he knows Gentiles are going to be reading this as well, he's giving the groundwork. He's showing the resume. He's giving the birth certificate of Jesus the Messiah, and he's showing his heritage. He's showing his, look, he's got papers. The Bible tells us that, first of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, that a king of Israel would have to be an Israelite. He couldn't be a foreigner, so he has to be of, of, of pure descent. Secondly, we know even in Ezra, it talks about the priests. They had to have the genealogy. You had to be able to prove that you, in fact, that your lineage went back to the priestly order and to, to the, the order of, of David, the Messiah. That was just absolutely essential. And that talks about Ezra 2, kind of gives those qualifications. In Jeremiah 33, 
Uh, we see all the prophecies about who the Messiah be and that he would come from the house of Jesse. And so as Matthew begins to give this detail, matter of fact, the genealogy of Jesus, it literally means, if you read it in original language, it would say the genesis of Jesus. This is the proof. This is the resume. For those of you who are all hung up about where he would come from and what his credentials are, I'm going to give them to you right here. And so that's what he's about to do. And for the Jew, this would have been extremely important. But yet, there's some little twist that we'll see in there as well. Brandon? Thank you, Brother Ron. Um, It's exciting to get to do this. I'm so excited. Um, I'm sure you are too. Uh, When you look down at your Bible and you see that it's the genealogy of Jesus, you're probably as excited as I was when I first was told that I was teaching the genealogy of Jesus. Um, It's uh, apparently, um, there's just a list of names and then there's not a lot of content. And so that's at least what I thought first. And so um, I'm going to try to make it exciting for you today, a little bit, a little bit more uh, informational than what maybe you've seen in the past. So if you've read this passage, you're one of two, I think you fall in one of two camps. You read it a lot, or you haven't read it at all. And what I mean by that is everybody in this room, probably at one time or not, if you're, if you're a believer in Christ for more than six months, you've said to yourself, I'm going to read the Bible, the whole thing through. And then you get a, a one, like one of our reading plans that we have that we're encouraging you to do. You get one of these reading plans, and it usually starts in Genesis 1, Matthew 1, and then a psalm or proverb in the middle. And that's kind of how the plans are laid out um, to get you through the Bible. And so when you get to Matthew chapter 1 on January 1st, you open it up, and you start reading these names. And you're like, okay, Abraham, father of Isaac, Isaac, father of Jacob. Okay, let's go to chapter 2. Okay, Jesus was born. And then you kind of jump over because that's the second camp, and that's kind of the camp that I've always been in. So when Ron said, yeah, um, we're going to tag team this thing, and you're going to do 1 through 17, then I'm going to come back clean up and, and pick up the rest of the verses. I need you to teach the genealogy of Jesus. I thought it was like a hazing thing. Like, okay. Um, so, uh, like he was testing me to say, okay, did you really pay attention to seminary? Can you come up with something out of a list of these names? But I believe uh, truly that God put this in here for a reason. I don't believe that any part of the Bible, even the genealogies, and yes, when you get through your reading plan and you're going to get hung up in Leviticus and Numbers, there's a reason that those are there. Now, I can't promise you that I'm going to be able to do as good a job with Numbers as I am with this genealogy, but uh, we're going to try to tackle it together. <clears throat> and also, I'm going to read every single name in here. And before you roll your eyes, just let me go ahead and put, this, put you at ease. I'm doing you a favor. We're going to read it together, and then you can check that off. So when you start your reading plan, you've already read it, like for January 1st. So you're already ahead of the game, and we're going to get, to get through this together. So let's go. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, I know some of you are saying salmon. It's, it's okay. It's salmon. Um, if you're not laughing, you're probably not reading along. You're just waiting me to be done. Verse 5. <laughs> and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Pause. And David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of 
Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, my favorite one, Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, and who is called Christ. We did it. Yes, let's do that. But here's why we paused. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon were 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ Jesus were 14 generations. And that'll come up a little bit later. So as Rod mentioned, Matthew's writing this gospel to the Jewish audience. Okay, so Matthew's point in life, uh, he was appointed of all the gospels. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were basically biographers of what happened of Jesus's life. John wanted to prove that, that he was the, that he was the uh, Messiah. Or, God, can't even talk. John wanted to prove that he was... Uh, that he was uh, the God-man. So the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each had a different purpose. Matthew's purpose was specifically for the Jews, which is ironic because most of the Jews probably hated him because he was a tax collector. And yeah, the tax collector named Levi, uh, he, would, he basically raised money for the uh, Roman army that, that, that surrounded him and, and kept him uh, safe. They kept the peace in that day, but the only way they could do that was by doing taxes. Well, he's kind of like a broker. Like, the Romans don't care. Just get our percentage, and then whatever else you can get, just you can hook us up. And so um, Matthew, like probably many of the other tax collectors, would say, for example, if Rome was like, hey, we need 10% of income tax from these people, he would say, all right, we need 20% of income tax from these people. And they would be like, what do you, are, and everybody knows that, that Rome only wants 10%, and you're shaking us down for an extra 10%. And oh, by the way, if you don't listen, I've got a Roman centurion that's going to kill you. So I'll take the 20%. So you can just imagine how beloved this guy is. He's like a gangster. He's like going to break your knees or something if you don't, if you don't do it. Um, or he won't, but he'll have somebody else do it who will. So he's pro- not very popular, but isn't that how God works? He takes people who aren't very popular, like Paul, who was Saul, who was the chief persecutor, and he wrote three-quarters of the New Testament. So it's ironic that, that Matthew would be the one that would be trying to convince the Jews because they hated him so bad initially. But I think it's, we're going to see, too, that Matthew had changed so much from the guy they knew as Levi to Matthew the apostle that it was a big deal for them uh, to hear Matthew say this. But why did he write it? As, as Ron alluded to, it was because he had to prove that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And the only way that he could prove that he was the Messiah was to say that he fulfilled all those prophecies in the Old Testament. You know the prophecies, the ones in all the little books that are named after homeschool kids? You know, like Obadiah and Micah? Thank you. The, the, the 9 o'clock did not appreciate that. I think that's the homeschool family service. Um, <clears throat> they did not appreciate that. But um, So anyway, they... <laughs> But all those prophecies were, were going towards the, the coming of Christ, and it had to become, it had to go through a specific lineage, and it had to be a specific thing. And so it was a big deal that he was from the line of David if he was going to be uh, called the Messiah. And so that's what he was after. That's what he was about. So we have to ask the question, so what's the big deal with all these names? 
Why is, is, it, is it a big deal? Well, first thing you have to see is that Matthew included a lot of people that we wouldn't normally include. As a matter of fact, if I was to tell you, if I was to go to Ancestry.com and look up my family tree and somehow figure out who it was and where they all came from, if I had a few of these people in my family tree, I would probably forget to tell you about those conveniently as I was telling you about my lineage. If I was, let's say... Um, Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Edison, and I don't even know how they would be related, but let's assume that they are. And then it goes through Kennedy and, and John F. Kennedy, then it goes through uh, Reagan somehow, and somehow I'm the great-grandson of Ronald Reagan, right? I would forget, I would, wouldn't tell you about the other people in here, like the prostitutes and the liars and the, and the thievers and the adulterers. I kind of forget about those people um, and just tell you about the ones that would make it kind of nice. Well, I think this speaks to the authenticity of the gospel and the authenticity of who Jesus was because Matthew has to include some of these people and we're going to see how that relates to us directly. The first, there's five people I want, to, I want to point out and conveniently they're all five women. If you are Matthew in a first century Jewish world and you're writing to people and you're trying to convince people of your point that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, you don't use women. That's just, first century Jews, women were, were subpar, and so they were not looked upon as, as equals, and so it would be, do you no good. And you see this throughout the, so we start with Abraham, Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, father, 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 and then all of a sudden, we get Tamar. Who's Tamar? Well, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, and the father of his kids, or excuse me, mother of his kids. Say that again. Judah... Judah's daughter-in-law was Tamar, and she was also the mother of his kids. I know, that's weird. If you if you're, haven't connected the dots, that's incest, and that's weird. What happened was his two sons died, and she pretended to be a prostitute, and then laid up with Judah and had Perez. So, um, so continues the line. And then we go down, and then we see the next woman that we see is Rahab. Now, she didn't have to lie to be a prostitute. She was a prostitute. Now, again, let's go back to this, this imagery, right? I mean, it's one thing we've, because we're, we're so, especially we grew up in church, we're familiar with Rahab and we're familiar with the story at Jericho, but let's just stop for a second and I'm scanning the audience for any really little kids, but let's just scan the audience and, okay, we're good. So his great, 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 so on and so forth grandmother was turning tricks on Harry Hines like centuries ago. Like, the, you don't go down, not that any of you have been down there. Now, I have a friend that's a cop in Dallas. That's why I know that for the record for some of you are going, how does he know Harry Hines? You don't, if you've seen any of the women down there, any of the, any of the ladies of the night, you don't go, hmm, that looks very, she looks very um, messianic. I think she's going to be part of the lineage of Jesus. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Uh, but she, we know from the Hall of Faith from, uh, in Hebrews 11, that she ends up uh, turning to the Lord and ends up uh, following God. But she also has a child out of wedlock that continues the line of Jesus. Then we have Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman. So she was actually highly regarded in the Bible, and, and we don't spe- no one speaks ill will of her in the Bible. But the fact that she's a woman and she was a Moabite would have disqualified her for being in anybody's lineage if they were trying to make stuff up about where this great Messiah would come from. And then Bathsheba. Now, if you look in your text, uh, verse 6, verse six, the, the, where, where it starts with, and David, it says, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. She was so shameful, they didn't even mention her name. They just said it was old boy's wife. That's how disgusted that they were with, the, the genealogy would be with her. Now, 
this is not a this is not new. First uh, and Second Kings. I don't know if you know this or not. If you hit, if you are if you don't if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, this will help. First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles are very similar stories and narratives in what they t- talk about. What happened was First and Second Kings was written more as the time in the in the contemporary time that the events were actually happening, and First and Second Chronicles is believed to be the last book of the Jewish Bible where they're recounting all the Jewish history and they go through and they basically repeat all the stuff of David and Solomon and these kind of things and they talk about all these highlights that. Were in the Jewish, that were in Jewish history. Guess what they conveniently left out? The part about David and Bathsheba that First Kings included, Chronicles left it out. So this is not new for the Jews to skip this part, but Matthew didn't. He made sure that he showed you that it came right through the line of their adulterous relationship. They had Solomon, and the line continued. And then the fifth woman was Mary. Now, some of you are like, "Wait, Mary? She's she's. I mean, you just like named." A lady who lied about being a hooker, you named a hooker, and now, you, and, and now you're naming Mary? Wait, why? Well, because he's talking to the Jewish audience. And I'm telling you that they are not believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And if you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then you're not believing that Mary actually was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. You are believing that she ran around on Joseph and became pregnant, and now she is Oh, well, this is 30 years after Christ resurrected, but in history, she's not labeled in the Jewish world as a good lady. So, uh, just to put that in context, dads that have daughters, if your daughter came home and was like, Dad, we've got to talk, I'm kind of pregnant. And you're like, every other kind of, either you are or you're not, or I'm pregnant. And here's the deal, though, I've never had relations with another man, Never. It was just by the Holy Spirit. Like, what are you thinking? Like, do you just go, oh, whew, thank you. I thought, <laughs> I thought you and your boyfriend, oh, okay, so it's the Holy Spirit, right? So uh, that's, how they, that's how they accepted it, right? I mean, that's just ludicrous. Only, at least your daughter has precedent. Like, we can point to it and go, it happened once before. Uh, up to this point, it had never happened before. So there's no precedent for that. So Mary was not an, a woman who would have been uh, liked as well, or who would have been somebody that would have said, um, well, since she's the mother of Jesus, then that's why he was virgin born. I, ironically, um, the Jewish argument wouldn't have, if they didn't like uh, the fact that Mary, um, let's just, in, in their terms, we don't believe this, but let's pretend that she did run around on Joseph. She stepped out on him and got pregnant and had, and had Jesus. Well, from the lineage of the women we mentioned before, other than Ruth, it wouldn't be uncommon for a woman to have a child out of wedlock and it be in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ through David. So he's kind of, kind of ironic that he includes that. Now, that's me and Ron talking in his office. That's not like commentary official, but it's just kind of ironic how that, that points out. So we have to ask the question, what is God saying to us about all of this? What is God telling you and me about all these people that are in his lineage? Well, I think he says this, that... Through him, imperfect people with an improbable impact on the world led to the first coming of Christ. Imperfect people with improbable impacts on the world led to the first coming of the Christ. You are an imperfect person with no reason to believe that you will have a kingdom impact before Christ comes again. This is the glorious expectation. This is what we're looking forward to. We are not looking forward to Christmas Day like our eight-year-old kids are. We are looking forward to the second coming of Christ. 
and the way that God used imperfect people that undoubtedly thought they would never impact the kingdom. I guarantee you Rahab was not turning tricks on Harry Hines. I know I just want to say it again just because it was funny the first time. Um, she was not thinking, about, thinking to herself, wow, the Messiah that's going to save the world is going to come through my lineage. When she had the child out of wedlock, she thought, probably thought it was a mistake. If any of you in here have ever had a child out of wedlock and, and the shame and the things that, that culture puts on you, you never think this person is going to be, like this is definitely going to impact the world. In fact, you think, wow, I just want to hide out. I want to get away. I just, there's, God can't use my imperfections. God can't use the way that I've messed up. And I'm here to tell you that's wrong. You see, that's the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that he can use your imperfections, he will use your imperfections, and he will impact the kingdom for the world for the second coming of Christ. He will if you're obedient and you surrender to him. You see, uh, Tim Keller says it like this, the gospel is not good advice, it's good news. This is not a prescription on how to do life right and do it the right way. It's a call for you to surrender your life in all your imperfections, in all your abnormality, you know what I'm trying to say, all those other things, that you would take time and surrender your life and say, God, I don't know how you're going to use me, but I want you to use me for the kingdom. I want you to use me to impact the world. You don't have to work at a church to do that. As a matter of fact, before I worked here, before I was in the ministry, I would got out of the Marine Corps and I was working as an electrician. And as an electrician... Um, you deal with, with quite a few different types of folks, um, most all of which are, that temp, are that, the typical blue-collar, cat-calling guys that we, that we think about. And so as an electrician, uh, my journeyman at the time um, was, uh, his name was Julian. And Julian was a hard-living man outside of work. And, and by that I mean we're talking a fifth of Jack Daniels on the weekends, um, partying, filthy jokes, pictures on his phones, all the kind of stuff that would just kind of, that we would all just kind of go, it's not really like me. I hope that was, I hope some of you are like that. Others of you, you're not there yet, and that's why I'm your men's minister, because maybe I'm not there yet either. But uh, we're, as, we're, as we're working together um, and, and, and growing together, um, I've just tried my best just to be the salt and light. I just did what I could. I didn't know how, um, I didn't know how to act. I mean, you laugh at some of the stuff. Yes, I get caught up laughing at some of the stuff. Do I hear about his life and so forth? But I just did my best to walk, to, to walk the line and be a good example to him in his life. And so I, uh, I figured out that in order to be a minister, like I surrendered my life to in the military, that I needed to go to some school called seminary. So Julian and I are sitting there together one day, and, he, and I make the phone call to the seminary in Fort Worth, and I said, um, how do I do this? They said, do you, have, you need an undergrad degree? And da, 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 da. I said, okay. They said... Um, I said, one question, does this have any math and science in it? And they said, no. And I said, okay, that's the degree I want. I want that degree <laughs> right there. But Julian was a part of this, and he saw this, and he saw this evolution over a few months about how I, I got accepted to seminary, and then I turned in my resignation, and um, I was the longest-tenured apprentice er- there. I was there for 18 months, and like usually after about nine months, you get canned because the big jobs are done. But I, they liked me so much, and I was doing so well and working so well with these people. I'd been there for 18 months, but I didn't know why God had me there. I thought, God, why are you taking 18 months for me to go to seminary? I surrendered to you in 2005. It's 2009. I'm supposed to be like the senior pastor of Fellowship Church or something by now, right? Like, isn't that how it works? I don't know. But apparently that wasn't how it worked. But I got a phone call from 
uh, Julian about six months after I had left in seminary. And he said, hey, can you come to a church in, in Italy, Texas? And I said, I don't even know where Italy is, but yes. What do, you, what do you need me to do? You need me to preach? Because I'm like six months into seminary. I can just rip this, this thing, <laughs> rip the roof off this place. He's like, no, that's not it. I said, okay, well, what do you need? And he said, I want you to come see me get baptized. And I said, what? <laughs> baptized, like in the water? Like at a church? <laughs> yeah, me and my sons to get baptized. He said, your life, you and Paul, this other guy uh, that, was, uh, that went to church, that worked with us and was, and was also a Christian, he said, you and Paul had the biggest impact on my life um, as I started exploring why you guys, what was different about you and why um, the, some of the, the way you acted and the way you treated people and the way you did this kind of stuff. I, I, somebody told me the gospel, shared the gospel with me. For the first time, it made sense to me. And then I compared it to you, and I remembered that that's, you were the guy that was so influential in my life and to getting me to explore and, and getting me into church and to bring my family into church. And now I have given my life to Christ, and I've surrendered to him, and I want you to come watch me and my sons get baptized. I was like, holy cow. So I look back and I go, that was 18 months, God, well spent, right? And my, not in my time, not in my ways, and certainly not in my perfections. Because I promise you, in the construction world, if you're a, any, it doesn't matter how Christian, Ron Holton would be a, an ungodly man after a while inside of, of, a Christ, of a construction atmosphere, okay? I'm just telling you, it just, not to pick on Ron, I'm just saying he's probably the most godly guy in the room. That's why I was saying that, all right? Just for the record. Um, but construction atmosphere will do that to you. So I was not perfect. And here's what I'm trying to get to. My imperfections and my, uh, just my obedience to Christ through him allowed God to use me just the same way that he used all those people in the, in, uh, the gospel, in the genealogy of Jesus. He allowed me and my imperfections just through my obedience to impact and save another man and his family for the gospel. So that's my challenge to you today. Don't read and gloss over this genealogy and think, man, that's just a bunch of names. Nope. That was a bunch of imperfect, messed up people just like you and just like me. And God used them because they were obedient. And they did what God told them to do. And they had a fear of the Lord. And they lived their life like that. So I'm going to hand it back over to Ron to close up and tell you what happened next. Because this is the anticipation that they were waiting for. you continue here in Matthew chapter 1, uh, beginning in the uh, 6, eight, actually we'll start in verse 18 here. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, and when his mother Mary had been betrothed of Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And catch this, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, Yahshua, the one who saves. For he will save his people from their sins. Yahshua, the Messiah, the one in whom they have anticipated the one they've heard stories about ever since they've been born. One day when Yahshua comes, when the Messiah comes, things will be different. And now the prophecies are being fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ. It's all there. 
The lineage is there. The history is there. And now the Savior is here. Glorious expectation has arrived. There was a movie called A Knight's Tale that I loved. It came out in 2000, 2001. I mean, you know, it's not high class, uh, high culture movie, but it's, you know, I I see a couple of my, couple of guys that that are my age that are clapping their hands. Thank you very much. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, it's about this guy named Ulrich, who's a peasant, who's a boy, and he has dreams of being a knight, but to be a knight, you must have some royal blood, and he's just a peasant. But he finally figures out a way to compete in the tournaments. And he begins to compete in the tournaments and he's winning and he's winning. And uh, he has some, uh, his credentials are not really looked at very, nobody really looks at them very much. And what little he does have uh, ends up being exposed. And the group comes and said, look, he's not really of nobility. And so he's going to need to be disqualified and punished. But uh, a squire, his squire, before someone would compete... Uh, in one of these contests in medieval England, there would be a squire that would come out and give basically their resume, their qualifications, why you should be impressed with him. And typically they would line out all their royal blood and there would be names that they would recognize and, and people would nod in approval. But when his squire comes out, he comes out and he said, my Lord Ulrich is a gift for your eyes. One that you shall never see probably again on this earth. I would give his lineage if it would serve to honor him, but the truth be told, all these other men whom they are giving their heritage and they are giving their lineage, it is meant so that they can receive honor, so that they can receive that they are worthy based on what their forefathers did, not because of anything that they've done. Ulrich has great ancestors But these great men of the past, they pale in comparison to him. I would not list them, the men of the past, in order that they might honor Ulrich. But I would list Ulrich in order that they might be honored. That's Jesus Christ. This list isn't so that Jesus can be honored and glorified as they look at all the great patriarchs of the faith. But all of those men and women are glorified because he is the promised Messiah. He brings the honor. He brings the purpose. He brings the ultimate resume. God in the flesh who designed all things. God became man. And walked among us and suffered and died on our behalf. That all who would believe and receive his grace might be forgiven. Because of what he's done through the death, burial, and resurrection. As he died upon the cross. As his royal blood covered our sins. If we would transfer our faith and trust to what he did. As opposed to my parents or the church that I attended. Or I'm going to be really good. I'm a good person and I pray. No, we all pale in comparison to Jesus. It's only because of who he is and what he's done that we can receive royal grace, that we're accepted, that we're forgiven. And you can't earn it or deserve it. You simply put your trust and faith in Christ. Have you done that? If not, I want to welcome you to do that this morning. Can we pray for just a moment?
Maybe you've never trusted Christ. I want to invite you to do that by recognizing that you're a sinner, that you can't get there. It doesn't matter what your past is, what your parents did, how many times you've been to church, how good you think you are. We're all, the Bible says, we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you recognized that you're a sinner, that you cannot save yourself, that God is holy? And the only way that we can get to him is through Jesus, who paid the price, who covered our sin, who put us in the royal line of inheritance of God Almighty through him as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and make him our Lord. If you've not done that, I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you're here today and you need to take another step in your faith by being baptized. Maybe you need to be discipled. Maybe you need to learn more. Maybe it's time for you to serve. Maybe it's time for you to become a part of a church and have accountability and begin to grow in your faith. You're not here by accident. Would you be willing to take that step of faith to embrace Christ? Say yes to the Lord. Lord, I need you. I accept you. And maybe you know, Lord, I'm ready to take another step. I want to know you in fullness. I don't want to know just about you. I want to know you. And I want it to transform my life. I want others to come to know Christ because of you. Would you take that step today? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your great grace. Draw men and women to yourself. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.